So um, really nice to be out here with the big people. And um, we've been talking about God being our refuge for a couple of weeks. Uh, Sam talked that first week about the process of kind of engaging with God as our refuge, that we need to prioritise meeting with Him, that we need to create space and lean into Him, that we need to kind of prepare ourselves to engage with Him as our refuge. And then he talked last week about a snack and a nap. And a whole lot of other things, but I think those are the two things that will sit with most of us, um, a snack and a nap, and the permission, in fact, almost the prescription to go and get yourself a couple of those things. And then we provided you as a church with Labor Day so that you could practice your snacking and napping with less restraint on you. So I hope you took um, advantage of that ability to snack and a nap with a day off. It's going to be harder this week because there are no days provided for you. You're just going to have to carve out your own time and make that happen. But I, um, I've told you many times from up the front before that I'm not a great outdoorsy girl, but I have proof of sandfly bites on my ankles because I stood in a river and up to my knees, hardcore, up to my knees, very exciting, and I absolutely loved it. It wasn't quite as hardcore as my Joel and Freya who were jumping into quite a deep part of the river and it wasn't that warm, they were pretty cool. Cass wasn't as hardcore, he was reading, but that's really hardcore in its own way. Uh, Luke was trying to fish close and not too far, which was very giving of him, but I so enjoyed standing up to my knees because I felt like a kid again. There was something magical for me about being in the water and just letting it happen around me. It was beautiful, the Mohaka River, beautiful water, very clean, no snotty bits to slide over on the rocks, just really gorgeous. And I did have a moment, and I thought it was worth sharing publicly, of joy slash peace in which I was in the outdoors. So for the record, I felt joy slash peace in the outdoors, equivalent to a snack and a nap. I think I'd be happier with a cup of tea and a lie down from my snack and the nap. So um, what I want to lay out to you this morning is an invitation to the thirsty, an invitation to engage with God as our refuge and process where we're at. And as I just said before, we haven't led you into that with uh, worship and with quiet time and reflection. You are going to have to engage with that yourself, and you're going to have to ask yourself some questions about where you're at, where in the process you are at, particularly as this wonderful year uh, begins its wind down. There are a lot of things that we have had to consider externally, but it's time to kind of look at some things internally for ourselves. So I'm just going to invite you now to stand. Let's let's centre our hearts and let's quieten ourselves. God, we just come to you in the silence and we quieten ourselves before you. Thank you, God, that you are unafraid of silence, that you speak to us in the quiet and you know us, you know exactly where we're at, you know what we need, what we're trying to leave behind, what we're trying to walk towards. God, I just pray that we would know your presence with us this morning, that we wouldn't need external things to usher in your presence and bring us into the right frame of mind, that we could just take a step towards you and know you're with us. God, I just pray that my words this morning would be your words. And they would touch the hearts of our people for where everyone is at and what we need, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are in charge. Thank you, God, that your whole plan is an invitation to the thirsty. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son. 
Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that is with us. Lord, teach us to hunger and thirst for you, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God, let us just know that we can, as Beth prayed this morning, just jump right in, right into the middle of it. God, prepare our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this morning I want to kind of marry two parts of scripture, some favourites. I get to pick them, so I've picked my faves. Um, Isaiah 55 and John 4. And I just see this morning these as two pieces of scripture and kind of trying to help them hold hands a bit and bring us to a bit of uh, personal reflection. So the first one I'm going to read is Isaiah 55. We're just looking at the first two verses. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fear. These two beautiful verses I see as a process, and a process is really helpful because it gives us some steps, and we can identify with somewhere on the step or in between the steps, and then take a look at ourselves. So step one from this verse is an invitation. There's an invitation, but you have to come. You have to show up. There is a response required. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And often we actually don't respond, and that's for lots of different reasons. We may feel that prompt within ourselves, but we don't necessarily feel the need. Or we just know it's not the right time for us. Or we know better. Or we just kind of like to put things on a bit of a stool because if we really did respond to the invitation, certain things could fall apart and we don't like messy. Or we're just trying to dodge that thing that's coming for us. But this is one of those invitations you don't have to RSVP to. You can just turn up just as you are. It was this point that I really wanted to quote, uh, come as you are, and uh, that's from Nirvana, and that's from a long time ago, but I didn't necessarily want to touch upon any past issues and then have you all rocking out to that uh, for the next 30 minutes. So, um, but do, upon his invitation, come as you are. It's just not on the board. Uh, so step two is that in order to do this, you actually have to know you're thirsty. You actually have to know that you are thirsty, and you need to acknowledge that and know the invitation is for you, because it's very nice. Isn't it lovely there's an invitation? Jesus' whole life is invitational. Isn't that so lovely for others? Because we're not acknowledging the fact that there's a bit of dryness, a bit of parched throat, and often we need to acknowledge the counterfeit ways that we seek refuge in other areas of our lives. There are things that you will be doing Sam has talked about this often, things that habits that have formed for us that are providing uh, the solution to our thirst in our life that are not the things that we should be turning to. These are the things that we hide our thirst in, those things that you thought would satisfy your thirst. And as this verse says, why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? That's a very good question to ask yourself. Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we put effort into the things that are not going to fulfill us? Or we put efforts into the things we won't, that we know won't satisfy us. As Sam mentioned last week, we often, when we're at the point of actual physical dehydration, we don't even know we're thirsty. It's actually not one of the initial symptoms. So henceforth, it creates a bit of a crisis in our bodies. And it's the same with our souls. Often if we are so 
unaware of the depth of dryness going on because we're carrying around all sorts of other things within ourselves. We're masking the things that are going on. I was very privileged uh, to take on the role of water station coordinator. I think I added coordinator, just water station person, uh, when my dad and my husband and my eldest son took part in what they decided was the Hawke's Bay Marathon due to the actual one being postponed a couple of times. And it was as a family event, I didn't have a role in the running, but I took on the role of water station coordinator. Um, And that was a very important role uh, because I was in charge of the rehydration. Uh, Three bottles. Luke had a sports water drink a kind of homemade concoction of salt and something else which looked quite flash and scientific, and then just actual water. And I felt so amped about this. I've never been a water station coordinator. I've never been near a marathon. And so um, just to clarify for those of you who haven't quite picked up on the nuance, it's just a three-person marathon because the Hawke's Bay one was cancelled. And I was very excited because it was, you know, quite significant in that it was these three generations and it was quite a beautiful thing that was happening. Um, And so they were all hard outs about it. And so I rose to the occasion and took it really seriously and also packed lollies because that's another important thing, just small amounts, like not like a bag of lollies, but just a small container of lollies. And as I was waiting for them, well, Luke was kind of doing the first part and then Dad and Cass were joining in. As I was waiting for Luke, I just felt this total sense of excitement and anticipation. This is, just, this is one man, you know, who I know quite well, but just running along. But it's the fact that I knew that my part was about to happen, that I was the water station coordinator and I had to administer the water. So I felt kind of like in a brace position uh, to watch him come in and then felt a lot of pressure because I know he couldn't hang around, like have a seat, cup of tea, lie down and regroup. Like it had to be a quick job and I get a little bit fumbly uh, when I get nervous and maybe overexcited about something. So I had them all ready and then I had a slight thought as he came around the corner where by the airport that he actually can't drink uh, all the three bottles at the same time. (laughs) And then actually probably for himself and just other management in terms of when the water was going to go, um, he probably can't drink a lot. And I just, I felt so, you know, it was so important what I was doing. I would have honestly worn a jacket and a sash and a hat and everything if I could. So in the excitement, I kind of started running, which looks like a waddle, <laughs> running to Luke with all the bottles. And, and then I think possibly it's likely that I overwhelmed him with my water station coordinating uh, behaviour. But we got, we got him through, and then I got too excited. I gave all to Cass. Cass hadn't even started running yet. His part had just come up. But it was just the sense of the excitement, the possibility of managing someone's thirst with three bottles, which doesn't normally happen in life. So the, the importance of that little story is to let you know that dehydration is a serious issue physically and within our souls, and the management of thirst is a serious issue. And if you are possibly going to sit there and say, well, that's lovely, Charlotte, thirst is not an issue for me, it's not true. We're going to hear soon of um, a woman in John 4 who was totally my hero, my most favourite story. The fact that she was aware of her thirst makes her amazing. We often focus on the fact that she uh, you know, was a woman of shame, a woman who had a past, a woman that was considered other. But she's a total hero because she knew that she was thirsty. So my encouragement to you this morning is to get thirsty. Step three after this is you have to engage. It says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good. You have to commune eye to eye. You have to tell God stuff. You have to listen to him. You have to be in a conversation with him with total honesty and be prepared to sift through your stuff. 
When you've done that step four, you actually have to drink. You have asked, therefore you receive. You need to partake and let it be given to you. You will delight in the richest of fear is how those verses end. I want to put this alongside the story in John 4 of Jesus' account with the Samaritan woman. I wish she had a name because I feel like then we refer to her as her and she and the woman and she's just so cool. She's worthy of a name. So we're just going to read from verse 6. Jesus tired from the long walk and sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to drink water and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She's a funny one. And the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And we're just going to skip down. Um, In the next few verses, Jesus engages in a whole discussion with her, very intelligent discussion about him being a prophet, about what true worship is. And then Jesus kind of lands that with telling her the truth that he is the Messiah. And her response is this. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. I think this is so interesting because John wrote this, so he's really putting himself out there. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? But clearly that's what they're thinking because he's written that down, which makes it really interesting for us as a reader because we notice this whole time Jesus doesn't treat her that way. We get so drawn to this beautiful, engaging story, and yet these guys rock back up again, and it's quite jarring because he's so warm and they're having such a human discussion. Anyway, the woman leaves her water jar beside the well and runs back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So we are, this is familiar to us. We know this story. I love this story. I couldn't just never get past this story. Uh, it's noontime, we know this. Uh, that's not the normal time that you draw water because it's a weeny bit hot. It's the least unpleasant time to go about doing your chores. It's the time reserved for those who are shamed and those who are other. It's also a Samaritan that makes her other. It's also that she's a woman that makes her other. And we know that women don't do anything by themselves, least of all do jobs and go into the toilet. And so she's by herself. So she's alone. She's a Samaritan. She's coming at noon. And uh, she is other in so many levels, religious, cultural, gender. But Jesus crosses the line, totally crosses the line. And he does this for relationship. And he does this because he engages He comes to the dry and the parched and those who seek water and he breaks the rules. 
He provokes, he invites, he engages, and he agitates. And he has got the knack for the world's best banter. There's warmth and interest in his tone. He's drawing her out. He's bringing her to the ultimate truth that she totally knows about herself anyway. But he is engaging with her in a conversation about true worship and different religious beliefs and acknowledging her incredible knowledge and ability to be so articulate. But he always comes to bring us the truth. He carefully and respectfully addresses her life. I think it was a little bit cheeky of him when he says, you know, go and get your husband. It doesn't kind of flow with the rest of the conversation. But he's bringing her to a point of truth. And she's no longer at the point of hiding. I don't think she cares anymore. She's that desperate. She leaves her water jar behind, which is such a significant image of this thing that she thought was going to satisfy her doesn't matter anymore, and she goes back to the village carrying her living water. She is the most clever of evangelistic people ever because she's very vulnerable and she speaks directly to the gossip. There would be a whole village full of people who'd like to tell her who had been her husband and who was currently not. And she goes back and says, come and meet the man who's told me everything about myself. She went straight to the heart of it. No one can argue that with her because she is the one they're all talking about or trying not to look like they're talking about. She's very astute and very clever. But I think she's so full to overflowing with this truth that she wants to send it out. So if we look at our steps from earlier back to step one and look at this wonderful woman's process, her response to invitation, she came. Now she needed to draw water, so that was her need, but that need was a need that pointed her to the living water. She knew she was thirsty. There's no argument in her, like, no, I'm actually fine, thanks, everything's cool, I don't need whatever you're selling. Um, this well in her life in the past is this refuge that no longer satisfies her. It actually propels her to the one that will. And so in this woman, her thirst is the on-ramp. And my message to you is that thirst is an on-ramp. It's not an off-ramp. It's not the thing that will disqualify you. It's not the thing that you go back and sort out and then come to him for. Come in your thirst and be found. Come thirsty Step three, she engages. She was so full of expectation. She had a head full of things she wanted to say to him. The expectation is there. She presses forward and she sees him and says, I am thirsty and I want more because she doesn't want to be this way again. Her desperation has driven her to change, which is why she's a hero. And he says, like in the message it says, if you knew of the generosity of God and who I am, you'd ask me for a drink. And she doesn't even hesitate. Verse 15, she's like, give me the water so I never have to come here again. She's thinking of this place, but also her dryness and her state of thirst. And this is the refuge that she knows does not satisfy and will never satisfy her. She doesn't want to come back this way again. So step four, she drinks. And we know she has because she's changed. We know she's met the Messiah because she runs back and says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Seeing Jesus for who he is has changed her. And that allows us to be able to look out and to overflow to others and give of ourselves knowing that the well is there that we can draw on. So this is the beautiful truth of Jesus. He breaches the divide. Whatever walls we put up, whatever questions, whatever doubts we have, whatever games we try to play, he simply says, come. He is the answer the only one who will satisfy you. He is our refuge. And he's the one that we will leave our temporary water collecting vessels for and run into and really receive that fullness of living water. 
And so this next part's for you. Where are you at in this process? Are you thirsty? Do you hear an invitation? Are you looking for an invitation? Do you even know that you're thirsty? Do you even know how dry your soul is? Have you shown up? Are you ready to engage, to receive a drink? Or are you able to point others to the living water of Jesus? So let's take some time acknowledging that we all need a next step. Let's know that nothing else will satisfy because Jesus meets us in our circumstances, in them. We don't have to get it together. This is the number one lie that I really struggle with. I know these beautiful truths about Jesus, but I always just say, look, I'll just park you there with your beautiful drink of water. I'll sort myself out and then I'll get back to you. And that is a habit for a lot of us, that we, we know he's holding out the drink of water and we maybe take the odd sip, but we are to drink deep and be full and to recover our dryness. But often we just park them over and we say, look, we'll get back to just a number of things I need to do, number of my own solutions I'm going to sort out, number of other drinks I'm going to try over here until I come back to your living water. And he's holding it and he says, come. The invitation is there. Sometimes I think it would be so much easier if he just really was a well-managed planner and just came and said, look, this is the path of your life. These are the things you're supposed to do. Tune up here and here and here. Good, you're good. Right, next person. Because then we'd know. And then we wouldn't be battling with free will or a sense of shame or our inability to handle grace or the other things we struggle with. We'd be useless to other people. But he is always offering us an invitation. He's always saying, in your pain and your shame and your utter boringness of your life, I am standing here ready to replenish your soul. Come, thirst, drink, and pour yourself out. That is how he lived his life. That is his demonstration to us. And that is the way that he wants to draw us back to him. In our worship and ministry time this morning, I want to make space for you to make some decisions around your next steps and for you to face some of those things within yourself. I want to make a space that you can um, meet with God and engage with these things. We've got our prayer banner. And this morning, I really feel that that area is for people who are feeling really parched, really dry for all sorts of reasons, but really dry and really needing to extend their hand out and receive the drink, receive the restoration of living water. You know that as you turn up to that space, you are responding to an invitation. The, the space has been made for you. You don't have to come and have everything sorted and lined up and ticked off. You just turn up in whatever state whether you had five husbands and the one you're living with is not your husband currently, turn on up, stick the bucket in the well and say, what have you got? Because I do not want to keep coming here again. That is a space for you this morning and your needs will be met. There will be people that can pray for you. There will be space for you to meet with Jesus and engage with him. And for communion this morning... I love that in uh, taking it to receive, and once again, this is our uh, gluten-free down here, but I'd love you to have the space to give it to others. If you're in a place in your life in this process where you are very full of the living water of Jesus and are able to give some of it out, then that would be a beautiful thing because that's the fourth step in our process. We know we've had a drink when we've had that transformation and that change. And that could just be in one area of your life. I mean, most mornings, if we're looking at our souls, we're going to need to knock back a whole lot of water just to get ourselves out of the door. But sometimes we're not, we're not putting that into a whole 
whole kind of patch where sometimes we're just topping ourselves up. If you've got space where you can give to others, I'd love this morning for you to bravely and boldly offer communion to someone else and to sit with them as they receive and to pray over them and to bless what God's doing in their life. And there's a beautiful song by Elevation Worship called Come to the Altar. I will not sing it for you because we'd destroy any presence of the Holy Spirit, but I will read you the words. Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is calling. As you come to take communion this morning, whether it is yourself or if you're giving it out to others, if you've come to the end of yourself and you thirst for a drink from the well, know that as you bring your sorrows, he'll trade them for joy. And from ashes, new life will be born. Some of you will need to be brave. And some of you will need to do some thinking about areas of your life that feel dry. Areas that you've tried to cover up and move on with in all sorts of different ways. You may just need to sit and be in his presence. And know that as you meet him and give him your empty bucket, he will fill that with living water. We have space if you want to journal over by the steps. We've even magically got water, after the children drank most of it, left in um, the water container, lost its name, at the back. If you just need to even have a drink in that tangible sense of drinking reminds your body how much you need him. If I could have brought a swimming pool, we would have had that so you could get knee deep. It's the new magic that you need in your life. So if you need something tangible, don't be afraid to sit there with a cup of water. That might be just enough to remind yourself that you need to move from this dryness.